0: In preaching class, if you go to seminary, the, one of the things they teach you as far as crafting a sermon and putting it together, uh, pretty often they say, never, ever just start with Scripture. Uh, you know, have some introductory comments. I'm like, you know what? <clears throat> Every now and again, I like to break a rule, and it makes sense to break this rule today. So this is how the Gospel of Mark starts. The good news of Jesus Christ, the message begins here, following to the letter, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. Watch closely. I'm sending my preacher ahead of you. He'll make the road smooth for you. Thunder in the desert. Prepare for God's arrival. Make the road smooth and straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wild, preaching a baptism of life change that leads to forgiveness of sins. People thronged to him from Judea and Jerusalem, and as they confessed their sins, were baptized by him in the Jordan River into a changed life. John wore a camel hair habit, tied at the waist with a leather belt. He ate locusts and wild field honey. And as he preached, he said, the real action comes next. The star in this drama, to whom I'm a mere stagehand, will change your life. I'm baptizing you here in the river, turning your old life in for a kingdom life. His baptism, a holy baptism by the Holy Spirit, will change you from the inside out. Now at this time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. The moment he came out of the water, he saw the sky split open and God's Spirit, looking like a dove, came down on him. Along with the Spirit, a voice, You are my son, Chosen and marked by my love, pride of my life. And at once this same spirit pushed Jesus out into the wild for 40 wilderness days and nights. He was tested by Satan. Wild animals were his companions and angels took care of him. After John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee preaching the message of God. Time's up. God's kingdom is here. Change your life and believe the message. So I get the pleasure of starting a brand new message series this morning. The message series is called Simply Jesus, and kind of the spirit behind it or what we were thinking is we wanted to kind of lead in the weeks going up to Easter Sunday, which is April 21st this year, we wanted to kind of lead into Easter over the previous weeks or weeks leading up to it, looking strictly at Jesus himself. Which we talk about Jesus every single week here at Southwest, but, you know, we have a number of themes or topics that we'll cover in a given year. I think to this point we've talked some discipleship, some relationships, some generosity. And we're like, how, I think it would be, or we think it would be uh, valuable, helpful for all of us at Southwest if we just focused 100% on Jesus, at least even more than we normally do. Uh, So because we want to be, you know, know, very, um, you know, well, upfront and honest, uh, just so you know, this series, especially today's message, is heavily influenced by a book by the author N.T. Wright, and the book is called Simply Jesus. So that kind of shows you how creative we are around here as far as how we title these things. You know, we're like, hey, we, we really can't beat that message. So Simply Jesus. And so uh, today, what I get to do is kind of uh, kind of set the stage. uh, We're going to get into a lot of history stuff. I'll explain that in a moment. But each of these succeeding weeks, we're going to be in just one of the gospels, Uh, and we're going to go out of order. Just off the top of my head, I think next week we're in. uh, I think we're in Matthew, and then it's John, and then Luke, and then we're ending with Mark. And each of these gospels, the gospel writers, they wanted to kind of cast Jesus in a certain life. They were viewing Jesus from a certain, uh, very detailed, specific uh, perspective, depending on uh, the audience that they were writing to. And they're all true. They all line up, you know, much like, uh, you know, if someone, if three different people tell the same story, they're all going to sound a little bit different, even though it was all about the same thing. Same idea for this series. Uh, But today, uh, before getting into any one gospel, uh, today the morning, it's really all about the timing of Jesus. It's Jesus' and God's timing, that perfect timing, and not just in history, but in our lives as well. You know, normally I like to say, you know, what the message is about toward the end, but right up front, kind of where I'm going or what I want to do is say this, is that Jesus comes at the just right time, and he changes everything. If we let them, of course. Uh, So I'll have a story, and then we're going to get into some things, and I'll prep you for them. Uh, You might know some of this either. You've heard it before. You've read it or seen a movie. But uh, in October of 1991, uh, the crew of the fishing vessel, the Andrea Gale, uh, was 500 miles off the coast of Massachusetts. And the reason we're talking about this almost 30 years later is the storm that they encountered. Uh, before the storm itself, there were a number of weather fronts brewing around the, you know, the geography around them. One piece was there is a cold front that was kind of moving along the Canadian and northeastern American border, which that's pretty normal. You'll have that, you know, um, just a, it's just an irregular calendar year, that's pretty normal. But kind of going along with that, going along with that cold front pressure, there was a high pressure system that was building along some of Canada's provinces. Think of Newfoundland, think of Prince Edward Island, just right there. And when you have that high-pressure system and this cold front, that's going to create a pretty radical storm anyway. This doesn't always happen. But then it wasn't just those two weather fronts that were kind of working together. There was a third one that was coming out uh, from the ocean, uh, some leftovers from a hurricane uh, coming from the southeast. But if you read the National Geographic article, uh, there was this quote that stuck out from meteorologist Robert Case. Uh, He said this, he said these circumstances alone could have created a strong storm, those two fronts he's talking about. But then, like throwing gasoline on a fire, a dying Hurricane Grace delivered immeasurable tropical energy to create the perfect storm. And so, in this late October 1991, with these three different weather systems, powerful weather systems converging all at once, the 72 foot Andrea Gale, they never had a chance. Only very light debris was ever found, and certainly none of these six-man crew survived. And you might know the story, again, from National Geographic or the book or the film The Perfect Storm from a couple decades ago. N.T. Wright kind of sets that up in his book, Simply Jesus, as kind of setting the stage for exactly uh, the circumstances that Jesus found himself in when he came into the world. 2,000 years ago, similar storms were brewing, but certainly had nothing to do with weather. It was this perfect convergence of history and religion and culture and expectations of certain people groups and God himself. We have the three weather fronts of the Roman Empire. We have the uh, history, the Jewish people, and God's perfect timing, all coming together into Jesus coming into the world. And he's going to change everything. Now I need to prepare everyone, Uh, this is history heavy, at least for the next 5 to 10 minutes, so I'm going to talk about the Roman Empire some, then I'm going to talk about the history of the Jewish people some, and then we'll get into some scripture, but just so you know, just just mentioning the word history can send some people into fits of boredom, so if I get the sense that everyone's eyes are glazing over, I'm going to scream, I will deliver on this promise. So, just know, we're going. I see you, Phil Garbark. (laughs) (laughs) Fell asleep instantly. So, that's where we're going. We won't be here long, but it's so, so, so important to really understand this if we're going to uh, get the full sense of the perfection of God's timing in sending Jesus to earth. So, here we go the Roman storm front. Uh, Right around the first century, leading up to that, Rome had been building in power for centuries upon centuries. And until about 30 years before Jesus was born, uh, the Roman, uh, system of government was, it was a republic. So, um, in some ways similar to, to our system, just it was a lot of representation. Well, around this time, the guy we know as Julius Caesar, uh, he was out, you know, taking territory for the Roman Empire. And, uh, he decides to come back. He brings his army back to Rome and pretty much overthrows the entire system and sets himself up as the emperor. And kind of how he set things up is, you know, there was, no, there was no real voting. There was no, it was pretty much what he said goes. He was an emperor. Uh, he, was, he was the boss. He was the priest. He was the king. He was absolutely everything. But if you know your history, uh, when you try and change things like that, they don't like it. And uh, Julius Caesar, he was, he was murdered. <clears throat> um, March 15th, actually, just had a couple days ago. Uh, he was murdered by, you know, uh, politicians and people who arranged for that. Well, when that powerful figure kind of leaves that vacuum, it means that a lot of other people are going to want to have that same position of power. So, with a lot of infighting and backstabbing and political intrigue, um, Julius Caesar's adoptive son, uh, Octavian, he ascends the throne after kind of all the blood and the dust settles. And because you know it's an emperor role, kind of like you know someone becomes pope, you have got to get to change your name a little bit. Uh, Octavian starts going by Caesar Augustus. Caesar Octavian Augustus is how he's known. And if you were kind of to do some translation work back then, Caesar, Octavian, Augustus, essentially would have uh, translated to this: "Son of God." That's how this new emperor' his name would have been translated. So what this means is, back then, if you asked anyone in the Roman Empire who the Son of God was, there was only one correct answer: Caesar's the Son of God. And so this new Caesar, he kind of uh, decides he's going to kind of reframe the entirety of Roman history and kind of cast it in the story like this. all these, This thousand years, these centuries upon centuries, it was all building to this moment where I, the son of God, is born into the world and I'm going to bring peace and prosperity and justice uh, all over. And it's going to be through me, the son of God. This is what this human Caesar said about himself. In fact, you can see this back then, carved in stones and monuments, inscriptions, this very message, good news, we have an emperor, justice, peace, security, and prosperity are ours forever. The Son of God has become king of the world. Again, that's Caesar that this is about. So Caesar Augustus, he reigned from around 31 BC to 14 AD, and his successor kind of kept this message going, that Caesar is the Son of God. And he's gonna save the world. That's where we find ourselves around the first century on the Roman side of things. So, Rome's done. You can breathe. I don't have to scream yet. <laughs> All right, we're gonna go into some Jewish history. So, we had the, uh, the Roman weather system, we have this Jewish high pressure system now. So something very uh, uh, interesting or unique about the Jewish people is uh, as far as every people group and society and culture throughout history, uh, the Jewish people kind of stand, the, stand apart in that uh, they kind of consider themselves part of a really big story. If you look at other, you know, uh, uh, territories or empires or whatever, yeah, you wanted to take territory, you wanted to take care of your own people, but you pretty much had your life and that was it. Where the Jewish people were and even are different is they always thought their people, their story was actually going somewhere. And we talked a little bit about that in the previous message series. You know, in Genesis 12, God appears to Abraham and says, hey, three promises for you, nation, land, and blessing. The entire world, you're going to have a nation, you're going to have descendants, and the entire world is going to be blessed through you and your descendants. And that was the story the Jewish people kind of clung to and really trusted in. Because God was active, God was evident, and God was working uh, with the people that he chose for himself. So the Jewish people, they're very unique in this. They just knew that their story was going somewhere. And even if they, they, there were seasons uh, that they had to endure hardship or there was suffering, at least they clung on to hope. That's what set them apart from other peoples, as they had hope. Just think of uh, Exodus. And this Exodus story kind of happened a number of times. For 400 years, the Jewish people, they were enslaved in Egypt. And then you look at the book of Exodus, and God raises up Moses to go to Pharaoh and say, Release them. We're going to go be our own people out in the desert. That's a very, very Cliff Notes version of all this. And they go out. They're freed from slavery, and they go out to be their own people. And this kind of story is going to repeat itself through Jewish history. You know, God, they understand God made the world, God called His people to Himself, and God is going to intervene to save them when He needs to or when they really need Him. So this happened when they were enslaved in Egypt. They just knew that God was going to intervene and save them, and He did. And another piece of history is, uh, uh, when they came under the enslavement and oppression of Babylon. They were taken in as slaves. There was that exile out of Israel. And again, they were uh, lamenting to God that they just knew that God was going to save them from this. And he did. So they believe in this story that no matter how often they're going to be oppressed or even enslaved, they just know that God is going to save them eventually. So what made the Jewish, what really made up this Jewish storm is hope which is something that we still cling to today. It's very much a part of our story as Jesus followers. But their story was the Jews, they were always saved from darkness. Again, think Egypt, think Babylon, and they knew it would happen again. Now, the first century perspective of these Jewish people was that Rome was the absolute worst yet. And they thought only a great savior is going to be able to defeat this great evil. So if expectation was at a fever pitch, they were expecting a great Savior because, hey, it cannot get any worse. It is terrible. We hate being under Roman rule, and God is going to save us. And because this evil is so great, only a great and majestic Messiah is going to be able to come. And that's where the Jewish people find themselves right around the time Jesus enters the world. So that's when we have Roman history coming up, the long history of Israel, these two storm fronts. And now we're going to have this hurricane that is God going to come in and make this all a perfect storm. So the God piece. What does God have in mind? You know, my understanding, my theology says that Jesus was never a plan B. Jesus was always part of the equation as far as God bringing the entire world to himself, if they would believe in his son. So God has something in mind. It's going to be strange. It's going to be unpredictable. And it's going to be dangerous. But God agreed and Israel agreed that it was time for God alone to be king again. So, I want to throw up a couple of scriptures that would have been very much a part of the DNA of the Jewish people, and just kind of, just uh, so we can kind of understand and lean into this expectation of this Messiah that they were just waiting on to come and overthrow Rome. So, this is from Psalm 10. Some poetry here. The Lord is king forever and ever. The godless nations will vanish from the land. Lord, you know the hopes. Of the helpless, surely you will hear their cries and comfort them. You will bring justice to the orphans and the oppressed so mere people can no longer terrify them. This is just kind of like a small sliver of the hope and expectation that these people were, would cling to. They understand, yeah, God is king forever and ever. At the end of the day, he's in control of everything. And he knows that they're helpless, he knows every single struggle inside of them. But the day is going to come where he's going to hear their cry, he's going to bring comfort, and he's going to bring justice. And they're going to have no longer any reason to fear uh, any, human, any human ruler. Let's go to Malachi, a piece of prophecy. This is the very last book in the Old Testament. This is going to sound very similar to what we just read about in Mark. Let's run the message, Malachi 3, one. Look, I'm sending my messenger on ahead to clear the way for me. Suddenly, out of the blue, the leader you've been looking for will enter his temple. Yes, the messenger of the covenant, and that's Jesus, the one you've been waiting for. Look, he's on his way. This is hundreds of years before Jesus comes on the scene. But it just speaks to the level of God knew exactly what he was doing. He was planting these seeds. He was kind of uh, making this path of breadcrumbs so people could hopefully realize that when Jesus did get here, they would recognize him. Doesn't quite happen that way, but we'll get into that in, in later weeks. Here's another piece that I really, really like. This is from the prophet Isaiah. There's a ton of prophecy about Jesus and the prophet um, Isaiah from chapter 52. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Long ago, my people chose to live in Egypt. Now they are oppressed by Assyria. We see this history of enslaved and, and, and freed. What is this? Asked the Lord. Why are my people enslaved again? Those who rule them shout in exultation. My name is blasphemed all day long, but... I will reveal my name to my people, and they will come to know its power. Then at last they will recognize that I am the one who speaks to them. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the messenger who brings good news, the good news of peace and salvation, the news that God of Israel reigns. The watchmen shout and sing with joy, for before their very eyes they see the Lord returning to Jerusalem." The people of Israel just cannot wait any longer. They are ready for their Rescuer, their Savior, their Messiah to get here. And so God, and there's only perfect timing, timing in God himself, God planned for this to be the right time. And right around 4 BC, that's when we tend to think Jesus was born, God puts his plan into action. So Jesus is born. We, Many of us know that story of Jesus coming into the world, the whole Christmas season and all that. And he grows up. In his very first sermon, pretty much the bottom line is this. Repent, because the kingdom of heaven is right here and right now. That's essentially the message of Jesus to his people then. And that is really, really good news. I always love reading this piece from uh, the Gospel of Luke chapter 4. This is him coming back from the wilderness. He's starting to preach this message of repentance and the kingdom of God. Uh, Verse 14. Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region, and he taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. And when he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read scriptures. And the scroll of Isaiah, we just read from this, the prophet was handed to him. And he unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. And I love this so, 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 so much. Jesus reads out loud, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Reading these words and Jesus knowing exactly who he is, why he's there, I, I wish there was a way that I could fully... I hope this is communicating... Just that the perfect timing of history, everything coming together, this really shows me that God really is in charge of everything. It's all coming down in this one moment, this perfect timing of Jesus coming into the world. It had to be this particular time. So if you don't know, or if, and this is always dangerous kind of whittling it down to be this simple, but essentially Jesus' entire ministry is him shouting in either actions or words, trust in me and your life and eternity will change. You can have hope right now. Now, Jesus, he used a uh, number of parables to illustrate or try to explain what the kingdom was. We've heard this word kingdom a couple of times already this morning. And if you read the Gospels, especially the Gospel of Matthew, you will hear a lot of uh, talk about the kingdom. So to talk about the kingdom of God, uh, that's a phrase, either kingdom, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, they're used interchangeably, they're all the, the same thing. But to talk about the kingdom of God... Uh, it can be hard to understand just because whenever Jesus talks about the kingdom, there are kind of layers to it. You can talk about the kingdom and be talking about a few different things at once. It all has to do with Jesus. It all has to do with uh, living our lives for him. It all has to do with uh, the spiritual. But one thing, just one thing that the kingdom of God means is that to be a part of the kingdom and to know and experience the blessings of it is letting Jesus be the good and perfect king of your heart. That's one thing That being part of the kingdom means that Jesus gets to reign over your heart. He gets to be in charge. Now, if you're like me, who kind of initially pushes back at the idea of anyone being in charge of me besides me, here's kind of what this means. And maybe this can soften something or make it sound um, attractive, because I think it's attractive. In saying that Jesus gets to be the ruler of your life or has reign over your heart, it means that you get to pursue and you get to give into things like grace and truth and love and forgiveness and faith and peace and generosity. All that gets to reign and run the show over your mind and your heart. Anyway, so to help this idea of the kingdom or the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God make a little more sense or be a little more clear, uh, Jesus would tell stories or parables uh, the most popular understanding of a parable is that they are earthly stories with heavenly meanings, which I like that one. Uh, one I like even more is parables are imaginary gardens with real toads in them, and you can take as long as you want to figure out what the heck that means. <clears throat> but a couple of my, very, they might be my favorites, and like if there's one thing, my favorite thing to preach on and teach on, it's Parables. And uh, I, I know Roger says it, I say it. Like, whenever we get up here, we always talk, like, we, you know, point out whatever passage, and we tend to say, oh, this one's one of my favorites, which you can't have so many favorites. But for Matthew 13, there are two real, like, sentence-long parables about the kingdom that I think really, really might be my favorite. And I can't fully explain why, that'd probably be for another time. But just three verses out of Matthew, talking about the kingdom. This is what Jesus says says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. And when he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. That's just two parables, you know, one sentence long describing what the kingdom of heaven is. The first guy... I just imagine he's out walking. It might be his field. It might be someone else's field. But I imagine he trips over something, does some digging. He just finds this box of treasure. And it is so, so valuable, he doesn't even have to think about it. He goes and he sells everything he owns to get enough money to buy the entire field. So it will be his. Just in that moment, nothing is more valuable than this. He says, the kingdom is like that. That even if you accidentally happen upon it and really realize the value, you will trade in everything. You will put everything else on the side burner and say, yes, this is what I really want. And just to contrast that, he says, hey, it's just like another a businessman, a merchant, whatever. He's on the lookout. He's out there looking for like the most valuable uh, pearl out there. And he says, when you discovered it, this pearl of great value, this pearl the size of your face, he sells everything he owned and bought it. And one reason I like these two parables kind of side by side of each other, is it speaks to the two ways that people um, come to know Jesus or come to know the blessings that uh, God can give, not only in this life, but in the next one. Some of us, you know, our stories is, you know, we, we might be living our life and we really weren't looking for a life change. We weren't looking for Jesus, but it just kind of feels like Jesus found us. We almost accidentally come into the kingdom like one of these guys did. But then there are others, like we just have so many questions on our mind. We just know that there is something else, something bigger, something more meaningful out there. And we've just looked over and over and all along just trying to find what is truth, what is, you know, what is the way, who is God, all that. And after searching and searching and searching, we find Jesus. And it was exactly what we were looking for. It was the answer to our heart. Just two reasons why I like that parable. Parable. A reason why I bring up that particular parable, and again, I would love to talk more and more about it, just the, the reason I bring that up is when it comes to, like, we share our testimonies or how we you know, came to know Jesus. And each person's testimony, come up, it's made up of three different parts. It comes out to, hey, here's my life before Jesus, here's how Jesus came into my life, and here's how life has been afterward. It's a simple three-part if you want to be able to tell your story. But I don't want to say always, because that's a dangerous word. But most of the time, when people get to that point of when they met Jesus, the theme of the story always seems to be that Jesus showed up at just the right time. That Jesus' timing, his arrival in my life, was nothing short of perfect. (laughs) And yeah, just kind of where we started is, yeah, Jesus kind of arrives at the right point of history. And I think that's important. I think we believe in that and uh, should give attention to that. <clears throat> but also John 3 says that God to love the world and we are the world, we are the people of it. And I think the timing of Jesus in our own lives is just as perfect. He's Never late, not early, he's always right on time. And Paul knew this too. He writes this in the book of Romans, which is uh, heavy, heavy stuff. But right after this, we're going, to do, uh, we're going to dive into communion. But this is from Romans 5. Paul writes this. He says, When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. Paul understood the power of Christ's perfect timing. So we're in the practice every single week of observing communion. If you're on that team, uh, that can be your cue. But we do this every week because one, Jesus says to, he says, hey, whenever you gather in my name, and we do that every single Sunday morning, he says, I want you to do this. And it's a time of remembrance, our relationship with Jesus, what he did for us, what he continues to do in our lives. Jesus says, hey, this bread, it represents my body that's broken for you. Not broken for me, it's broken for you. And he says, uh, this wine is representative of my blood that is being spilled for you. And Paul all writes that, you know, Jesus came at just the right time for sinners, and that's every single one of us. And says we get to rejoice if we trust in, you know, Jesus' sacrifice and his death, burial, and resurrection. If we trust in that, then we get to rejoice. We get to rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because of what Jesus had done. Jesus alone. So, if you would pray with me, and then we'll have uh, several minutes of just private worship and praying and reflecting and thinking whatever uh, you and Jesus need to cover in your heart. Uh, I pray that's what happens. But pray with me. <clears throat> Father, one, one of my hopes this morning is that uh, hopefully it was communicated that you are, you know exactly what you're doing, and your hand is over and in everything, even when it's confusing and it doesn't make sense we know at the end of the day that you're in charge. And part of that is you sent Jesus, not only in history at just the right time, but as we're walking around, whether we were looking for Jesus or uh, we, he kind of stumbles into our lives, that we can recognize that as uh, the most important thing, the most valuable, the most meaningful thing that we can ever do, saying yes to Jesus. Kind of letting the walls of our hearts down and allowing Jesus to take up residence and that our lives would be devoted to him. And we would trust that. We trust in the love and the patience and the grace and the generosity and the truth, everything that comes with it. So I pray that uh, our time would be uh, holy in this moment as we just remember what your son did and that just in remembering, uh, we can be blessed by that. It's in Jesus' name we all pray, amen. One thing, even more than maybe any other, like, kind of beginning of a message series, is this morning really kind of was designed to be a more of a setup than anything else, uh, for the rest of this series. So I just kind of want to share where we're going. Again, we're going to be in each of the Gospels of the next four weeks. Uh, next weekend, we're going to start things off with Matthew with this message called The Unexpected Revolutionary. Even though expectation for the Jewish people was at fever pitch, when Jesus came, they really didn't recognize him. But he was even more of a uh, savior than they ever would have realized. Followed by that, we're going to be in the Gospel of John. And with the theme being, when we look at Jesus, we know exactly what God looks like, who he is, his entire character. Just look at Jesus. Then we're going to be in uh, the Gospel of Luke on the 7th. I get to bring that message. And just how really, really offensive grace can really be. And then we're going to end with the Gospel of Mark. And it's just all about Jesus the rescuer, calling the suffering hero. Uh, being St. Patrick's Day, I, I wanted to um, stop and just say, like, kind of end, kind of on that theme. Um, the last few days, uh, I've been in Virginia. Me and my fiance Ashley, we made a trip out to Winchester, Virginia. Um, they're just a side of her family that I had not met. At, you know, ahead of our wedding in August. So it was a good trip, refreshing trip. Um, beautiful country. Love these people, but also um, they are of Italian descent. And I am not of Italian descent, and I don't want to say anything that would be critical of my now family, but if I just do this, will you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> so that was going on, and just so you know, like, my kind of default is this. <laughs> so I got, we got back last night, and I just got the best rest, just, you know, a few hours of just nothing, and then got a very, very good night's sleep. Um, but, you know, I come from, like, all my uh, family, we come from Scotland and Ireland and England. Like, I'm almost 100% just entirely British. Uh, so I like to lean in that a little bit on St. Patrick's Day. And maybe I was thinking more of that contrast just considering the last few days of my new Italian family. Um, but it just got me thinking about St. Patrick. And I just thought it could be a blessing. I just want to read a small part of the prayer of St. Patrick. And then we'll have this final song. And then we'll see you next week, uh, continue on the series. But... Uh, let this, let this be a prayer for us you know, going today. So if you want to close your eyes, you know, it is a prayer, you're welcome to, but I'm going to read this and then we'll stand and have a final song and um, we'll see you next week. Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ, when I arise, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, Christ in every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me.